2: Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to gain recognition as a great resource for uh, business and entrepreneurs, everything from sales to leadership, social media, uh, communication, accounting, legal, you name it, if it has to do with business, we probably have the information here, and that is uh, really because of the guests. Uh, These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me to share their expertise with all of you. That way you can get the information you need so you can do better things in your business. Today is no exception. My guest today is Matt Baker. Matt is a money strategist and business coach who's passionate about helping entrepreneurs solve their most challenging problems. As VP of Corporate Strategy and International Expansion at FreshBooks, Matt is helping millions of self-employed pros grow their businesses and get paid faster. Thanks so much for joining me today, Matt.
0: Thanks, Diane. Really uh, excited to be here.
2: Well, I'm thrilled to have you here, and um, I understand you've developed what I will call some unconventional tips for making sure that uh, a business has the cash it needs when it needs it, and I'm wondering if you can tell us some um, about those tips and why they work.
0: Sure, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I think um, in, in a lot of ways, you know, everybody – I, uh, understands that cash flow is what can make or break a small business. Um, when we see uh, at FreshBooks, we serve small businesses as our, you know, day-to-day um, reason for being. And, and a lot of times uh, cash flow can, can be the difference between making it or not. And it can look like a successful business on paper, but if the cash flow doesn't support it, um, then uh, you know, then, then the business can really struggle. And so certainly one of the things that I've spent a lot of time um, thinking about and talking to small business owners about is how to, how to optimize cash flow in a way that it doesn't become this this um, end of month uh, you know sort of migraine event. Um, and certainly, there's some best practices that we've that we've seen. So I'll share some of those uh, now as a way of thinking about it. Um, the The general concept is how can I pull forward um, in a lot of ways the money that I'm collecting. Certainly, you know, you can always push out expenses and say, hey, you know, maybe I'm not going to buy this. Um, A particular uh, item, and you know, for three months, for now, instead of now, but, but you know, anyway, that that that's pretty straightforward. People, I think, understand that one. The uh, the concept of pulling it forward sometimes um, requires thinking a a little bit differently. Um, And one of the things that that we 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 preach or you know talk about a lot is one is um, starting to get paid online. The reason for that is um, it can it can you know be almost simultaneous. Um, at least within a couple of days as opposed to, you know, um, if not the same day. And when I say get paid online, it's just the ability to allow someone to, to pay you um, digitally, as opposed to putting a check in the mail or um, going through some some other process. I mean, lots of folks still get, get paid in cash as well. And, you know, it has, that has its benefits. But really, in terms of cash flow, um, when we say get paid online, it's allowing somebody to pay you with a credit card or a bank transfer and, and do that right away. And, and so we see that, you know, it can um, lot uh, enabling that can allow you to get paid at least at least two weeks faster so that's that's one simple thing. Um, another thing is sometimes to charge an upfront deposit. This is a concept of depending on the type of work you do, but getting some money up front and if a deposit's not necessarily the structure then then the other way to think about it is just milestone based billing so a lot of people um, that, that I speak to are in the habit of doing the work and then you get paid for the work and and in theory that's you know that's a great way to approach. You know your business you want to do a good job you want to make sure the client's happy and then they and then they pay you for it however um when it comes to cash flow that can be tough especially if you have to pay money out in order to complete a project so one way to think about that differently is break it up into two or three milestones um and it can be you know if it's a three-month project then maybe you charge you know at the end of each month or maybe if it's a project that you know has different phases to it you can charge um, you know, half. You know, anyway, like a like three different phases, or or just halfway, or something like that. And that's just one one more way of pulling pulling the funds forward. Um, and then one last one I'll mention, just out of the in, initial uh, topic here, is um, thinking about recurring uh, payments. You know, it's it's no surprise that a lot of things that, that I pay for or you pay for is based on a recurring model. If you, you know, think everybody you know today um, has an Amazon Prime membership or at least everyone that I seem to talk to or they subscribe to Netflix or something like that. Those are recurring models when you think about it. the Netflix is you know you're paying a certain amount every month or in the case of Prime you know you're paying a certain amount uh, every year for that membership and really that just creates a ton of stability for those companies to know that they're getting paid and that it creates the cash flow and so in some ways you could just think about shifting the the, wor- the work that you or the project or the value that you offer think about shifting it to a recurring Model and so rather than you know you getting um, paid so periodically, which I tend to call lumpy. You know, a lot of people have lumpy income, and that's not a bad thing, but it just means that you know you have those peaks and valleys. And so if you can just switch the the, the concept around to to um, turn it into a, a monthly or a quarterly type of payment, that's just another way to um, to simulate effectively in some ways what what all this boils down to is that the 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 world, so to speak, or at least our um, our economy today or at least the way that people start thinking about it is it's comparing it to a traditional job in which you get paid you know from your employer every two weeks or you know twice a month or what have you and that that creates the stability so um, moving people to this recurring model is just a way to simulate what it's like when you're when you when you when you when you're an employee or when you have a w-2 and just kind of replicating a little bit of that in in your own business so that you just have more consistency and things that you can rely on
2: I would think that would potentially make it easier for some customers to uh, be able to pay as well. So maybe you weren't waiting for payment beyond a due date.
0: Yeah. You know what, in a lot of ways, there can be a a benefit there, which is uh, to the customers to say, listen, rather than uh, one bulk payment, how about we start laying this out? It'll be easier for you to pay. uh, and, and it's better for me too. So I I think it can absolutely be a win-win. It's a little bit of how you present it. Um, you know, sometimes customers have this idea of, I'm not going to pay until, you know, until the, you know, pay upon delivery kind of concept. But I think, um, you know, as long as you can show some value throughout the process, then, you know, everyone's going to be comfortable that it's moving in the right direction. And it's not as though, you know, they're it's not as though you, you sign a deal and then they're not going to hear from you you know or you're, they're not going to hear from you until six months later or something like that i think if you're if it's a if it's an engagement so to speak then there should be value along the way and that's the idea of maybe creating some of these milestones too and then you can assign a, a part of the payout per milestone
2: yeah that one i really like a lot because then um, one of the things i like about it is especially for people who deliver a service or you know like are in, cr- in a creative field you don't end up at the end with the uh, client potentially saying, okay, but this isn't what I asked for. And then you're totally out. With those milestones, you can be getting confirmation throughout the process that you're going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agreed. I mean, that's certainly, you know, nobody loves surprises. Right. And so if you get to the end of a project and, and anyone's surprised, you know, that's usually a, you know, a bad sign. Um, in some cases, I mean, if you're if you're under promising and over delivering, it can be a very pleasant surprise. So I don't, I don't suggest all all promises are. I mean, all surprises are bad. But um, but yeah, to to your, to your idea, particularly, I um, speak with a lot of what I would call creative professionals that are running a, a you know a, a creative agency or some type of digital consulting firm. And a lot of those projects do involve a lot of back and forth and a lot of consultation throughout. And so that's a great way to, um, to to be present to make sure that you're always getting the feedback. And if people are paying along with a pre scheduled um, a pre-scheduled payment schedule, then um, um, anyway, you're, you're bringing the cash forward, and they're, and they're seeing the value along the way.
2: Yeah, definitely. Okay, now, I, I know you've also seen a lot of small businesses successfully manage their expenses to stay profitable, which I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of small businesses struggle with. So I'm curious about the decisions those small business owners are making so that they're consistently – in
0: the black yeah well one of the things we've done is we are fortunate enough to to, to, to have some funds to do to do research um, and so one of the research studies we did with around 2,000 uh, small business owners is survey them on the the practices that they that they pursue in terms of financial management and then also understand um, from the survey how well their business is performing um, and what we found was something that know love being database for one but um, what we found was that um, only one out of four business owners were were performing all seven of a particular set of activities and those one out of four that were doing all seven were performing uh upwards of 30 40 better than their peers and so just statistically if you look at the data you can say you know it's either you know causation or correlation if you put that aside for a moment you'd say hey if I can adopt all seven of these things, that puts me in the top 25% of of all small business owners out there. So to me, that's a pretty powerful way to look at the data. And if I just walk through those those seven, I think that's the yeah. idea of how to how to you know make yourself successful. What I found is that um, n- none of them, in and of themselves, is something that no that that no one's doing. Um, so if I rephrase that differently, each one of these, at least you know half the people out there are doing them. So on their own, each one is not, is not so uh, far away from anyone. It just happens to be, are you doing, are you doing all seven? Um, okay. So, so anyhow, the first one is um, having a way to regularly review your finances. And this is the idea that um, do you understand how, you know, how performance of your business works out? And a lot of businesses, you know, as I mentioned before, can be lumpy. Some of, the, some of the time that's due to just the number of clients you have. Some of the times that's due to seasonality. Um, but when you regularly review your finances, you got a feel for that. You know, you know if you're in the down part of the year, or this should be the high part of the year, or if it's really just a product of clients, then you can understand how many clients you have, and that's why um, you know, your business may be up or down, but when you regularly review your finances, you understand how your business works, because it's not a straight line the same way a paycheck tends to be, so um, anyhow, that one is number one, and, and by the way, some people you know avoid that, because they didn't get into doing that because they wanted to review their finances right and and maybe they don't have a tool that makes it easy to do it you know i mean if you're just reviewing your bank account that can be a really hard way to review your business because that's just the summary of cash in and cash out and you you know if you review it every two weeks you know what your balance is but that often is not the best indicator and so you you know you often need a way to to bring that information out and so it's things like i was mentioning um you know how many uh, when you're reviewing, it's the, how many clients do I have? Or when you're re- reviewing, it's how many outstanding, you know, invoices or payments am I waiting on? Um, or is it, you know, have my expenses gone up? So you want a way, you want a tool, and there's lots of tools available um, out there that can help with that, but you want a way that you can um, you can easily and quickly review review your finances regularly, at least, you know, call it once a month or something along those lines. Um, anyhow, um, that is certainly number number one. Number two is okay. to um, have a budget. A budget, a term that I find is somewhat alienating because it's just, you know, having a budget just feels like a burden. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like it's just this idea of like, oh, we should budget. And it's almost like it's, just, it's almost synonymous with cost cutting. But when I say have a budget, that's not really what I mean. Um, um, I just mean more of practically think forward around what are your expectations for your business results. It's how much you're spending, but it's also how much you're earning. And it, just having a budget is saying, you know, laying out at the beginning of the month or laying out at the beginning of the year and saying, here's what I expect. And then what you can do when you're regularly reviewing your finances, you can say, how am I doing compared to what I thought I was gonna do? And I think in a lot of ways, that's the value of the budget. It's really just saying, how am I doing compared to my expectations? And then you can make adjustments. Um, you can change your, you know, your budget and you can you know, you'll get better at understanding where your business is going when you just take the opportunity to think where it's going to go and so if you come short of your budget a lot of times like you're not making as much then hey you know maybe I need to bring on more clients or maybe I need to invest more in sales or you know there's lots of things that 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 starts to open up if you think about it that way or if you're consistently spending more than you thought you would then you know maybe you're not pricing correctly and you got to think about hey you know I'm actually adding a lot more value and this is costing a lot more to do than I originally thought and so really it's just um in, in my mind that that maintaining a budget is um thinking about where where you're going and then you can compare yourself to it. So that's the that's the big big bucket for for number two. Um, Number three is around saving for taxes as soon as you get paid. Um, I find that only half of the people that I speak to do this regularly and and the concept here is when you get again back to this whole idea of you know most people have a day job so to speak when you have an employer you know by by law, for the most part, and, and by how all the payroll systems are set up, they take the money, you know, for the tax taxes before you even see it. And so they take it out, as well as other, you know, benefits that they're, that they're taking out, but they're, they're taking it out and sending it to the government on your behalf in, in advance. Whereas once you're self-employed, or a small business owner, it's all on you, you get all the money up front. And the worst case that I've seen is when people overspend, Without setting it aside, and then come tax time, they have to take out a loan, um, a line of credit, or some other type of loan uh, facility in order to pay their taxes. Um, and so, really, the best practice there is, is: as soon as you get paid, you start setting aside that money because you could almost just argue—not even your money—you're just having to charge a premium on your rate in order to, you know, pay the government. There, you know, call it approximately thirty percent or so. Um, so that's a anyway. That's a the third one. That's a big um, uh, best practice yeah. out there, and it just takes. Um, it takes some discipline, and it, it also takes having a little bit of a process, maybe needing a separate bank account um, where you just funnel that money into and so sometimes i 've seen people they get paid into one account and they're pushing it over into the tax, or i've seen people they get paid into one account and then they 're just pulling out what they can spend you know it's kind of um, huh. the same either way you know in terms of a yeah. workflow, but the point is just you know. When, you, when you're regularly reviewing your finances, you don't want to see that money and think that it's available because, you know, it's the government's money, so to speak. So just right. having a way to, you know, get that. So anyway, that's number three. And that can, um, that can set you up for a, a lot of success and avoid those, those pitfalls in, in the future. The fourth one is um, people who are proactively reducing debt. Um, so, by the way, sometimes debt is good. Sometimes you want to borrow money, you want to grow. But the point is, once you start taking on debt, you want to proactively reduce it, particularly if it's credit card debt. The most common lending vehicle that that I've spoken to people about using in the small business space is credit cards. And the annual rates on credit cards are pretty outrageous in a lot of ways compared to other options available. And so if you're taking on debt with a credit card, you really wanna um, proactively reduce as much as possible because you just end up paying much more in interest than than, than you're getting you know, out of value. Um, People do it because they already have their credit card. It's easy. You don't have to go into a bank and you know apply for a loan and all this kind of thing. So it's it's convenient and it's short term access to capital, but it can often be um, you know troublesome if you don't if you don't um, pay it pay it down consistently. Um, so that was number four. N- number five is um, some kind of system where you you pay yourself a salary from your earnings. Um, again, this one I think you just need a workflow. Um, So this idea of a salary is just simulating the idea of a paycheck, but there's some kind of idea where you are a little bit different from the business. I think a lot of times people commingle the identity. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. I think a lot of ways, you know, business growth is personal growth. And so it's normal to have, you know, your identity intermingled with the business and yourself, but in some ways if you can have a business account that represents the business and then you're kind of paying yourself out of that, then you can check, you know, that you're actually, you know, pulling out on a consistent basis um, the right, you know, the, the size that you expect, and and it becomes much more, um, uh, I would say, uh, dependable as a way of understanding, you know, how much income you're really getting out of your business. When once you start to separate them, and um, I haven't seen like, you know, the perfect way to do it, but the concept there is, you know, the anyway, the business has its own funds, and and you as the owner, you have your own funds, and um, Think thinking about that is, um, is is really helpful. And by the way, I, I find that again, it's around one out of two do it. So it's not like um, it's something that nobody's really doing. It's just um, you know, it, it's it's it, it it just requires, like I was mentioning, you have a process and a way of thinking about it set up. And and um, you know, you can write yourself a check or you can just pull the money out. You know, kind of this idea of an owner's draw. There's lots of ways to uh, to do it, but it, it's um, starting to think about yourself and the business as two, two separate entities. Um, so that was number five. And then there's two, there's two more. So the sixth one is um, choosing a business structure specifically for your business. And this is one that I would say is going to be hard to do on your own um, just because yeah. it's hard to become an expert in this, in this topic, right? You know, overnight or so, so to speak. So you probably want to rely on some level of professional advice, but, but when you think about it, you know, whether you have a sole prop or, or a partnership or some kind of incorporated entity. Um, There's pros and cons to all those options and you just want to pick the one that's best for you. Um, I've seen a trend towards more and more incorporation. Um, There seems to be some benefits there but there's also a lot more overhead once you incorporate incorporate in terms of there's more you know paperwork that's involved. So um, again there's pros and cons but the the punchline there is you know are you in fact picking the one that works best best for you. And then uh, lastly Number Seven here is just um, some process or some understanding of how to maximize all the tax write-offs and deductions. Ultimately, you know if, if you don't do that, one is you know your competitors probably are so um, you know you're kind of losing out there. and then number two is um, if you if you haven't maximized those deductions, the the government thinks you made more taxable income than you did and so they're going to want more of it than you know than they, than, than they ought to and so, um, a lot of people can feel like this is gaming the system, and frankly, it's—it's it's not. You know, if you if you go at it with a you know legal and ethical way, you're just looking to actually maximize all the things that, um, you know, you, you're effectively. Oh, you just have to go through the process to prove it. You know, the, the government's not going to go out of their way to give you more money back necessarily. So um you know thinking through that is just you know there's lots of ways that people do there's apps out there that can help track mileage if 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 mileage is one of the things or how you properly categorize your expenses you know that helps uh, you you know any tax professional you know help you help you write it off but um, having a system, and, and a lot of times, you know, people get stuck in this idea of the shoebox. Hopefully, that's a thing of the past. People, hopefully, people aren't feeling like they got a bunch of receipts in the shoebox. There's lots, of, uh, there's lots of tools and online apps that help you kind of categorize that stuff up front, so you're kind of figuring it out as you go. But, but that's a big one, too, just because, yeah, if you don't take advantage of it, I think you're just, you're making it harder on yourself, which then impacts all the things we are talking about before. It impacts your ability to succeed, and it impacts um, your cash flow, uh, because, you know, it's going to be pulling more money out of, out of the business.
2: Right. Exactly. It's so fascinating. I, I, as you were talking about them, I was sort of ticking off, you know, what, do, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Um, and, um,
0: Did you hit all seven?
2: So good. I, I don't know that I hit all six. Well, first of all, I don't have any debt in my business, so okay. I, I don't have to reduce it. So, so that's one thing I pay myself. I have, I started out with a business structure, um, write-off's not a problem. Um, saving for taxes hasn't been a problem. I don't have a budget. Okay. So say, so, you know, and and I don't necessarily review my finances regularly either. Yeah.
0: So, but, so you because know. you don't have a budget, is that just, just, to, just kind of understand your mindset of it. When you finish a month or you finish a year, or you finish as a quarter. It's just, it's a little bit of a surprise, but usually it's a pleasant surprise. You did a little better than maybe you hadn't written down what you thought you'd do, but that's, you know, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is in your head, you must have a little bit of an idea of where you're going, but you just maybe haven't haven't written it down.
2: Yeah. Right. Exactly. That, that is exactly right. Right. Exactly. And so, and interestingly, because I pay myself, I I keep track of it that way. Like I know how much I want to be able to pay myself every month. So in, in that, regard I I have a basic idea but I have not sat down and said this is what I want
0: to Right. by the way you know, you know first I think that can certainly it can be super super helpful I think it's it's helpful in life in general even you know this idea of once yeah. you're writing down your personal goals is not a bad way to think about setting yourself up for success because then you're just a little bit more you know dedicated to it but um yeah. but I think the larger point that you you mentioned there which is great is that some of these work really well and you know together um, and so by paying yourself, if that's your way of reviewing your, your finances regularly, because, I mean, you'll know if, if, you, if you don't have enough to pay yourself what you're, you're expecting to, you know, pull out right. each, um, each check. Then, anyway, that's a, that in, in a way you're kind of, re- like you said, you're reviewing your expenses in order to, in order to pay yourself.
2: Yes, exactly. Somehow it, I'm doing it. So yeah. I, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Great. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are... Two Brain Business 2.0 by Chris Cooper and Strategy Man vs. the Anti-Strategy Squad by Rich Horwath. So visit Audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Matt Baker about how to conquer the cash flow crunch. Okay. So Matt, so once a business gets their expenses under control, what are things it can do to grow the uh, profit gr- profitability let's ask it that way
0: okay there maybe there's a nuance there between um growing revenue and growing growing profit but in, you know in some yeah. ways if, once you have your expenses under control m- maybe they're they're closely related and so um if if i just open it up a little bit more to say uh grow grow the revenue and then maybe secondarily to that we could talk about the margin but if i just think about opening up the revenue one thing that i've had a bunch of uh interesting conversations and passion about is um how to grow your your revenue per per client over time and so a couple of things come to mind that i've um seen people do you know so so there's some proof points there but then also um you know kind of seen it in, in my own life as well and so one thing that's interesting is a lot of times people go to market with a single price point, point. Um, and in a way, I think that's the simplest—that's the simplest way to do it. And and you've gone through the logic of you know figuring out what your price is, and then you go you go to that price point. Um, what I think that does is it has some some limit, limiting effects. And and by the way, it's hard to be a pricing expert when you're a small business owner and you're wearing all the hats that we were talking about before. I mean. Um, you know, it's enough to get a client and to do the work. Now, you know, you're expected to be as this pricing expert and all the rest. So I, I think it's a real challenge for um, all business owners to own, uh, you know, all the, the, um, the uh, content areas of their business. But anyway, pricing is one that I think is, is, is super important. And so um, what I've seen out in the world is that a lot of businesses, um, when you go to buy something, they have what you would call the small, medium and large option. And I would recommend, you know, from the from the most successful uh, business owners I've seen, emulating something like that in your own business. And so rather than having the one price point that you know is out there and it's trusted and, and that you understand, it's helpful to maybe call that your medium or maybe, you know, figure out, you know, whether you want to go up or down, but you have a few different price points. And with those price points, you get a different level of service or a different level of product, um, depending on, as I mentioned, whether you're an agency or a consultancy or firm or some kind of uh, other, other business. Um, and what's really exciting about that is you're giving people the option to pay more. Um, so it's not just the one price, but they can choose a higher price that they want. And often when you set the expectations for what those prices get, they're self-selecting the level of service they want from you. And so um, what I find sometimes when people have a single price point is that a lot of clients or some clients can expect, you know, can expect everything from them in terms of the level of service they're going to get. And that creates a little bit of a mismatched mismatched expectation. Now, when you sort of have these three price points, the person who is really price sensitive is going to choose the bottom one. You know, by the way that you've shown it, they also are opting into a lower level of service or a lower level of offering. Um, And so that's a nice way to get the right expectation, whereas, you know, they're a little bit more, um, like I said, price sensitive. And uh, they sort of, they know that they're not getting the best that you offer. Um, right. And I think, anyway, I just think that's a great way to to get alignment there. And then, you know, versus someone who's going to pick the, the top one. One is they want the level of service and they're willing to pay for it. So that's a great thing to set up up front. Um, but also, you know what that that client's going to expect. And then people in the middle, maybe that's the one where you kind of go back and forth a little bit. But, but that's a simple way, I think, of trying to expand um, your, your revenue potential. And then, and then you can do things like, do an analysis of how many people are picking each of those three packages. And if everyone's picking the, you know, the top one, then, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe I'm priced under market. I should have an even higher one. Um, Or if everyone's picking the low one. Okay. I haven't done a good job of differentiating the level of service that I can, that I can offer. But in a lot of ways, um, you know, having all your clients pay the exact same, especially if it's a service type of business um, service-based offering, you know, is probably not the way to go. You probably, you know, want to do some level of, of price discrimination as much as possible. A lot of firms will give everyone a custom price. Um, you know, again, up up to the business owner, but that just takes a lot more time too. Um, yeah. But it allows you oftentimes to charge a higher price because you're doing some consultative selling. So I would say though, to the extent that you're going to show a price up front, it's it's um, you know one one sort of trick or one sort of you know way that the market is evolving is to have multiple multiple price points.
2: Um, so. I yeah, appreciate that in that, yeah, I think that's great and and um, and I really appreciate you saying the whole you know custom pricing thing is difficult because I have found a, a lot of small business owners who every single person, you know, especially service providers when when they go to they have the conversation and they're doing custom quoting and then they can't remember who is paying what they have no real handle on. What they're doing, and I don't know how they would forecast for for where their company is going if everything is custom priced.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I my initial thought was just around the fact that it's very time consuming to, you know, to work somebody through a sales cycle sure. when it's all when it's all custom pricing. So that was the initial one, but I think you're right too around. It depends, maybe behind the scenes, you know, m- maybe in in you know sort of similar to what you said which is you don't necessarily have a budget but if i were to ask you like well what do you expect to do this month? you probably have an answer in your head you just haven't you know kind of budgeted out i i would suspect a lot of people who are doing custom pricing if i were to say okay i know it's custom but really what's it range from what to what they, they would probably know Um. so yeah. i think you know i think they probably have some of the tools there to to be able to forecast and and to think think about it but but sometimes just getting the stuff you know, documented on paper makes it easier for you to run your business, but also makes it easier for clients to buy what you offer. So I, I think there can be some benefits to even doing this exercise in, internally, um, even if you yeah. decide not to show the price, uh, you know, on your website or, or, or however else you're going to market.
2: Right, right, right. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, it, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, if, I could, if I
0: could add one more too, is just um, sure. the, another area that we surveyed people um, to understand uh, how they get customers. So this is back to this question of, you know, growing profitability, but also, you know, just growing revenue. Um, one piece is around, um, you know, uh, I guess, finding new clients. And so we surveyed people around what are the different things that you're doing? It could be, you know, paid advertising. Um, it can be uh, word of mouth. It can be speaking at conferences. It can be, uh, you know, listing your services in, a, in an online marketplace and so on and so forth. You know, I think we we got somewhere around uh, eight or ten different, you know, primary tactics that people do. What what we found was actually the most um, trusted and the most um, had the highest success rate. For instance, we found the lowest success rate on something like social media. Um, there's a fear of missing out if you don't do it, but a lot of people that That I speak to, they're having trouble showing that they're actually getting clients from from their social media efforts, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or maybe um, Yelp. In some ways, um, whatever that platform is you're using, you you know, you're kind of doing some updates and whatever. But anyway, it's showing. I, I think people are struggling with it. By the way, they're also back to this thing around having a bunch of hats. It's also not an expertise of a lot of business owners, and so. You know, jumping in and expecting it to have results is really tough. But like I said, there's this fear of missing out if you don't do it. And so I, I just find that one's particularly challenging. What, but on the flip side, what we found that people had the, you know, had the most success with is actually a little bit more of what you might call old school um, you know, prospecting or soliciting, and it's things like uh, word of mouth and, and referrals. So if you don't have any process where you're engaging your current clients to ask them to refer you to new clients, um, you know I, I would absolutely double down on that. It can be a hundred percent a very soft sell it doesn't have to be um, or it could be a more programma- programmatic thing where if they refer someone then they get a discount or you know I mean you could you can think about it in a lot of different ways, but really you know leveraging your existing clients to get new clients I think is that is one of the most uh, you know proven things from from our research and so I, I, I would just implore uh, you know anyone to consider consider that 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 referral is just you know anyway it's it's super it's super strong and then the second thing was um anywhere where you're you're face to face with people is also um proving to be pretty successful and at the end of the day it kind of makes sense you know the closer you are to somebody the more likely you build a relationship and so on so it's getting out in in person and and meeting people is is the other thing that's you know the, the second one there that's um proven to be the, super helpful and so I would say it's things like you know go speaking at an event where you know people see you and then that engages you in a conversation or it's going to certain networking events it does you know I'm not suggesting you had to buy a plane ticket and go stay at a fancy hotel and and, and visit all these different places but just in your own community um, you know kind of getting out there in the in the sort of tangible world it has uh, you know is, is what's something that people find really um, really helpful so it's really just maybe a, a point that You know, all the online methods are great if you can work them to your advantage, but, um, you know, social media one is time, but then the other one paid advertising, you know, you can, you can spend a lot of money um, without building real relationships with the people on the other end. So, um, you know, there it's just mostly around, um, you know, the the point being, um, you know, talk to your existing clients, use those for referrals, and then, you know, seek out real relationships. You know, those, those tend to be the, 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 the activities that are having the best uh, results.
2: Well, I have to say that I, I am confident that the majority of listeners are going to be thrilled to hear that (laughs) (laughs) because they, they, you know, social media just like drives everybody crazy. They have no idea whether it's working. They don't know what to do. They don't know who to trust. They don't know how to do it. They, and as you said, they, they cannot point to whether it's working or not. Some can, but very few small business owners can point to how it's working for them. And, and it's, when you think about it, business is about trust. You know, sales is about relationships. So I loved what you said about get out and get in front of people, meet people, build relationships with people because that's really how people are going to buy.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, as part of that same survey, we asked people, what are you trying to do yourself versus what are you outsourcing? You know, and that's how we sort of
2: um,
0: Uh, locked into some of that stuff. And so certainly social media is one of these things where people tend to try to do it themselves uh, by, by and large. Um, And I think it's one of those things where that's probably, you know, in in a lot of cases, not, not the best solution. Um, You know, certainly outsourcing it entirely, you know, if you have the money, could be interesting, but even just, you know, paying a consultant to, Get you up to speed on you know the best the best use of your time that that could be you know a short term way to do it, but we also found that you know people often try to um, do something like graphic design themselves so it's you know it's like their marketing collateral or their logo or their website or you know it, it you know you just kind of try to brute force get it done um, and that's another one where you know people tend to um, you know want to have some some type of uh, you know design work, but if but if you know you're the small business owner, you're wearing all the hats. It may not be your expertise, and so you know um, leveraging another small business owner to help you there, um, you know, uh, from the, the, the you know from the conversations we've had tends to be really positive. And then the other one that you know speaks more to what we're we're involved in is sort of the finance and accounting side of things. We also find that a lot of people just you know tend to tend to wing it themselves, and like we were talking about earlier you know, people didn't get into a lot of these businesses because they really wanted to be an accountant for their business as well as the business owner. Um, So it's just, you know, and I don't mean to, you know, laugh at, um, you know, anyone trying to do it that way, but it's just, you know, oftentimes, um, even if you temporarily get an expert in there, they're going to help you up level how to think about it, maybe set some processes in place that you can then go and do it more yourself. But it's just, it's a challenge. Um, And I really feel for a lot of business owners because I, I, I I love seeing the trend towards career independence and self-employment and all these things. And it's just um, a matter of, um, you know, finding ways to break down some of the barriers because it can be really overwhelming. It can be really tough. And a lot of business owners I find that make it to the other side, they say there's no way they want to go back and have a traditional job. And so, you know, I feel very, um, you know, on the right path in the sense of, you know, if you can make it to the other side, you know, it's really worthwhile. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's a, it's a really rewarding Way to 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 have a vocation to have your career, but there's so many challenges stacked up, and you know, um, you know, trying to do it all yourself is really, you know, it's just, you know, I can't stress enough how how overwhelming that can be, and so finding people that can help, whether it's on you know the financial side, like accounting uh, experts, or it's design, or or social media, or you know what what have you. Um, you know, thinking about leveraging others around you, um, you know, it it can just make such a difference. And like I said, it doesn't have to be that, you know, you put them on retainer and all of a sudden this is one of the things that's growing your expenses. It can be a temporary, um, a temporary solution, but just helping somebody who's an expert up-level you on your way to building your business um, is, is, is super important. And, it's the whole thing around you know it takes a village, um, you know right. the analogy typically is to raise a child. You know a new business is kind of like a child, right? I think we found somewhere yeah. around eighty percent of the people that are running their own business, it's their first business and they're you know they've started it from nothing. So it, it and it does take a village. I certainly wouldn't get, take the credit away from the business owner because they're the they're the um, you know at the end of the day they're the one you know kind of responsible for everything. But but you know anyway fi- finding help is you know another thing that I would say is um, a huge. It's not on the list of the seven, but Finding some help is a huge way of, um, you know, mitigating the risk that you'd face if you just tried to do everything on your own.
2: Well, and, and let's expand on that a little bit because I, I think you're dead on it. And I, it is such an important point. So I guess what I'm curious about is are the, you know, what are the tools or processes out there that you would recommend that for small businesses, you know, for the, those folks who they want to optimize their cash flow. They want to be more profitable. What's out there that that you think works well?
0: Yeah, that's a great great question. I think in some ways what I would do is um, my, you know, I used to be a consultant in a former sort of role. And so I think through these process flows sometimes. And what I would do um, and and done it with some business owners. And so, you know, kind of tested this out a few times is think about the, the life cycle of the business um, and just sort of, you know, think of it as a process from, you know, step one to step eight or whatever the, the steps are. Um, but think about the, the process that you go through to, to, you know, get clients, to, you know, serve clients, to, to get paid, to, to run, you know, to, to understand your finances and just whatever those major steps are. And then, you know, typically speaking, there, there is software out there that can um, string these together or, you know, help you automate it. So if I think of on this upfront side, So let's say you took the advice and you're trying to do a lot of asking referrals and talking to, um, you know, getting out there and talking to people. Well, that's not a software play, but as soon as you get to a point where you're trying to close a deal, perhaps you have a workflow where you use a proposal. Okay, well, let's start there. So if you were to look up, um, you know, online proposal software, there's a lot of uh, options out there. We, we, uh, we partner with one called Proposify for instance. Um, But you know, you don't have to spend all your time using Word and Excel. Those are very flexible and in a lot of ways they're viewed as a sunk cost. So those, those are very flexible and considered free tools, but they're not meant, you know, at the end of the day to, to, to create a proposal that someone can accept. And so there's proposal software out there now where it's really easy to create one, and it also has the ability for someone to accept it, which triggers you that it's been accepted. And so you get out of the, you just get out of the um, the process of everything being so manual, where you create a, you know, you create a, a document, you attach it, and then somebody replies to you and says yes, and then you got to move on to Creating, you know, a contract or something like that. So a contract's another great example. There's lots of um, options out there um, for creating uh, a, a, a contract. We, we've uh, partnered with a company called Anco that um, that has contract software that you just plug in the variables and it you know spits out a contract. I think mm. most people are familiar with um, some of these digital signature uh, software that's out there. So. Um, Anyway, so that, that's an idea of you know, upfront in the process that helps you do proposals and contracts. And then you know, we, at FreshBooks, we spend a lot of time thinking about billing. And so um, we have some proposal uh, tools within, within um, our suite as well. But, but if I just focus on FreshBooks at the moment with the invoice, um, you know, we make it simple to create an invoice. You can duplicate your invoices. You can add line items. You can do a lot of things It's just harder to do if you're trying to do it in Word or Excel. Um, and you know we we'll keep a record of it so that you have all your finances in one place. But another thing that's you know sort of interesting in that space is we play the role of following up on invoices. So the worst thing about you know when I talk to a lot of business owners, it's creating the first invoice and getting out the door of your client is a pain anyway. But then if they're not paying you, then it's like double the pain that you got to follow up and be like, hey, you know I want this invoice paid. And then, you know anyway, chasing invoices is um, awful. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right? Like there's no other way to put it. So one of the things our system does is um, it's set to follow up with, um, with your clients and notify them if an invoice is becoming, um, you know, becoming due or is overdue. And it even gives you the ability, if you want, to charge a late fee if it's paid after the date. And so there's a lot of where we're kind of the muscle behind some of that so that you don't feel like you have to chase. So there's little, you know, there's little um, automation um, improvements out there with the software that just takes a lot of that stress and a lot of the busy work out of um, the case of the, um, of the business owner. And then um, same thing on the expense side. Um, you know, you can look in your bank account, but a lot of the tools um, like ours and a lot of others, it allow it's a tool that will allow you to connect your bank account. And then it just pulls in the information, but it gives it to you in a, um, in a categorized way that you can make some decisions as opposed to oftentimes in your, in your bank um, account. When you log in, you see all your transactions, but you don't really see the picture of how it fits together. Um, and so anyway, there's software that'll do that too. And then at the end of the day, I mean, once, once you have, uh, all your income in one place and you have all your expenses in one place, then that software can start to spit out reports like a profit and loss or even a visualization of, um, you know, how my how my uh, how's my business growing, you know, month to month. And anyway, a lot of that stuff is just, it's just really hard and laborious to try to do it all with your bank account and Word and Excel. So, um, yeah, I mean, without going, uh, you know, too much further there, I think the point is just that there's a lot of software that's solving this, and a lot of people that are thinking about helping small business owners, you know, historically, I feel like there's always apps out there for consumers, and there's always apps out there for big enterprises, and the small business was kind of the one left in the middle without a ton of solutions, um, but more and more, there's more, you know, there's more, more and more, there's there's dedicated um, software out there for small business, which which makes it you Know, really exciting space to be in, and one that you know I see a lot of potential and a lot of energy around because it's, it's consistently improving.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I have to say, you said something before about you know apps that track your mileage, like Mile IQ is one I use, and thank yeah. goodness yeah. because I'm terrible at tracking my mileage, so <laughs> you know, it does it for me. And um, I hear exactly what you're saying, and, and I appreciate. The, the thought around just looking at, I think it's interesting if people look at their processes and say, okay, this is what I'm doing that feels like there's an awful lot of steps to it, and then Googling to see, okay, is there something out there? Is there a resource out there that could shorten this, that, that could make it more streamlined, you know, make it easier for um, me to go from A to B, and, get notified when things are going on so I don't have to be hunting things down. I, I love that whole thought process.
0: Yeah, and just to double down on that one too, I mean, I think one of the challenges sometimes is you hear about a piece of software, or you hear about a particular player out in the market and there's this feeling like, oh, I'm missing out, right? And so that, a good example to me is um, project management software. There's great software out there. Um, you know, example could be a, a product like Asana or a product like Basecamp or another product like Trello. But if you didn't understand your own process, and then yeah. you try to adopt one of these, it can, it can be worse than, you know, it can actually hurt your business. And so I think if you start with your process and just understanding what you're, you know, how this, you know, how you're trying to work some, how you want to work somebody through your process, then you can see if the tool fits you versus the other way around. And um, anyway, it's just, you know, understanding that upfront, I think can save some of the cycles sometimes because, uh, you know, lots of good software out there, but if it doesn't fit how you run your business, um, you're going right. to have to do a lot of change to get the, to get the value. And maybe it's worth it to you, but but maybe it's not, right? And so that's, anyway, it's just going in eyes wide open with some of that stuff can can be really helpful.
2: And, I mean, the last thing that you want to do is spend a lot of time on something because it works really well for somebody else, but it really isn't right for your business.
0: That's right, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, then it just becomes so much worse. Wow, Matt, th- this is really great. I-, I so appreciate all the information. Will you um, let the listeners know, uh, you know how they can find you and, and um, if they want to check out FreshBooks, you know what that's about?
0: Oh, please. Uh, happy to do that, Diane. Thank you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MBakerson. Happy to um, engage on any of the content here. And um, regarding FreshBooks, um, you can visit freshbooks.com. Um, you can create a free trial. Uh, which is simple to do. And we have a lot of our data there that I've been talking about in terms of best practices and other things that, that, that we've, um, that we've found. And, you know, and one last example is um, we found that um, most people who are small businesses have more than uh, $2,500 at any given time um, in overdue invoices. And so just collecting on that is a great way to improve, you know, improve cash flow, and hopefully we can help. So, um, you know, certainly lots of uh, information and software available at, FreshBooks.com.
2: Awesome! Thank you so much, and listeners, another uh, just information-filled episode for you. Hopefully, you are taking notes, and if you weren't, go back and listen to it again because it matters for you and your business. Uh, and I'd like to thank our sponsor, Audible.com. To get a free trial of Audible.com as well as a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com/businessgrowth to sign up. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.
0: Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, my life. Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts, Ella Chiefre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines.